Welcome to the Property CEO Podcast, your inside track to the world of property with your hosts, Ian Child and Richie Clapson. Hello and welcome to the Property CEO Podcast. My name is Richie Clapson and I'm here with Ian Child. Hello everyone. And today we're going to be talking about a lot of people's favourite subject, which is passive income. Absolutely right. We're hopefully going to be shedding a bit of light on the the work involved in both setting things up when you first start a property strategy and also how much work is involved going forward. Because a lot of property strategies sound like they're going to generate lots of passive income. However, the reality can actually be quite different as, as many people have found out to their cost. That's fantastic. So we're looking forward to that. But I know uh, you haven't been passive this week, have you? You've uh, you've been out and about. That's right. I've been uh, herring up and down the country looking at uh, development sites mostly this week. Quite right. And uh, I know we're actually quite lucky to have you here in one piece following uh, that near miss you had on Monday. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you have to bring that up? It wasn't a near miss anyway. It was. Uh, you, you really don't know what you're talking about. Well... Uh, I saw it with my own eyes, didn't I? And for the benefit of our listeners, let me maybe set the scene. I was proceeding in an orderly fashion along the quiet roads of leafy Bishop's Waltham in Hampshire. And as I approached a roundabout, a huge black jaguar pulled out in front of me from nowhere, flicked me the finger and then wheel span round the roundabout, cutting up an old lady in a Skoda in the process. Do you know, I, I don't even think I'm going to bother answering that. That's about as far from what actually happened <laughs> as you can get. Totally and utterly ridiculous. You're forgetting I was there. So come on, Ayrton, what part of this isn't true? <laughs> well, for a start, the old lady was in a Volkswagen, not a Skoda. OK, well, I'm sorry about that. But is that it? No, I haven't finished. I didn't. I definitely didn't give you the finger. I didn't even realise it was you. So I just gave... A short wave to thank you for letting me out. Oh, and uh, you do your waves typically involving just one finger. Is that it? And uh, what's all this letting you pull out nonsense as if I had some sort of choice? You just pulled out in front of me. Well, you look like the sort of, I don't know, elderly driver I'd rather be in front of than behind. No offence. And and I had a witness to all of this. A friend of mine sitting in the car with me, they saw everything. Oh, so that was the tall gentleman with a face as white as a sheet that I saw sat next to you. I mean, to be honest, I don't think he would have seen that much. You know, he had his hands over his face. So he you're not, seen you're not even funny. You're not even funny. Okay, look, you, you, you know I think I've mentioned before that your driving skills are decidedly iffy. So <laughs> is that why you drive such a large car? To make sure you've got enough crumple zone around you? Okay, give me one... Just one example of my bad driving that you can think okay. of, and the roundabout, the roundabout incident doesn't count. What about that time you parked outside the curry house? You had three attempts, and I still had to get a bus to the curb. Do me a favour. That it, it, was, it was it was a very wide parking bay. Um, plus, if you remember, I was I was actually starving when we went there, so there wasn't time to kind of get a ruler out and measure exactly how far away I was. And if you bothered to grow longer legs, you'd have been able to reach the curb. <laughs> That's a rubbish. So how, how come the waiter told us that the police have been called because someone had abandoned the car in the middle of the street outside the restaurant? <laughs> That's because you wouldn't shut up about it. Plus, you, well, you ended up insulting his live band, so he probably had a 
felt you had to say something to you. Oh, my God, I forgot about that. Uh, yes, uh, he didn't look too happy, did he? Well, only you could be that oblivious. You were so hung up about my parking. Which was you bad. You didn't notice. <laughs> It's <laughs> so funny. We sat down and had this live band playing directly behind where we were sitting. Well, they sounded uh, exactly like the tinned music that you get in the Indian restaurants, but just it was a tad louder. We were louder because they were standing three feet away. <laughs> and I don't, uh, to be honest, I don't think they took that kindly to your, your comments about turning the music off, particularly that, um, that sitar player with the, uh, with the gammy leg. Well, I had absolutely no idea he was there. I mean, you know, you should have told me to shut up. That's that's all I can say. Well, trust me, that's easier said than done. No, um, I really, I remember, you know, looking at his expression, didn't like the way he, he kind of limped off into the kitchen. And then he brought out our food a few <laughs> minutes later. So I think, you know, he had a really nasty sneer when he put down yours. And I, I don't think he was particularly happy with you, but, you know, I might have imagined it. Are you sure it wasn't you? I mean, maybe it was you he was unhappy with. You know, he, he did uh, have a really nasty limp, I must admit. But, um, I mean, you know, maybe you accidentally mowed him down in the car park last time you parked there. <laughs> you know, when you, were, when you were doing one of your sort of 10, 11 point turns, maybe, maybe he just wanted revenge. No, it was definitely you he was unhappy with. And uh, I didn't like the look of your onion barges when they arrived either. <laughs> well, what do you think? He could have doctored them. Well, they looked like they might have been, you know, tampered with. So why didn't you say something? We didn't stay on the plate long enough, did they? <laughs> you wolfed them down before I had a chance. Frankly, he was pretty pretty lucky to, <laughs> pretty lucky to get the plate back. <laughs> Thanks a million. Uh, anyway, okay, so um, is, is that why you didn't have one of those, I guess? No, I didn't have one because before I'd kind of barely registered what they were, you'd hoovered them all up. Serves you right if you had your barges tampered with, but... <laughs> your barges it, tampered with? <laughs> it looks like you've survived almost with, uh, with no ill effects. Well, apart from a tendency to talk total rubbish on a Friday. But I'm sure it's just a recent thing. Well, I wonder who I get that from anyway. I think uh, you're uh, completely exaggerating the, the whole speed thing in terms of me eating in restaurants, that's for sure. Well, heaven forbid someone exaggerates anything in this episode. But uh, haven't you noticed, though, that um, the waiters and waitresses always do exactly the same thing uh, whenever they hand you your food, no matter which restaurant we're in? No, you're, you're winding me up. What, what do they do? You really want to know? Yeah, go on. They count their fingers. <laughs> Every time. That's, it doesn't matter. No, Italian. No, no, I know Indian. you're winding me up. No, no. You're famous for it. They reckon that feeding crocodiles is less dangerous, apparently. Yeah, right. I've had enough. Right, I'm going to end all this right here and right now. Instead, um, I'll tell you what, let's, uh, let's talk about something way more interesting. Let's talk about passive income, shall we? Let's. So, the first thing, um, what exactly is passive Passive? Passive? Passive. <laughs> so the first thing, what exactly is passive income and why is it so important, Ian? Okay, so passive income is basically income you generate without exchanging your time for money. So uh, if I explain, most people have a day job, which means they get paid directly for the hours they put in. So if they didn't go to work, they wouldn't get paid. Uh, passive income is different. Another way of, of looking at it uh, is that you basically make money whilst, whilst you're asleep. Which sounds great, doesn't it? I definitely like the sound of that. I mean, uh, can you give us a few examples? Okay. Um, so if we think of like a, a musician writes a song and yeah. uh, he or she earns royalties each time it's played. So it's not actually, they're not doing something when it's, when it's played and they're getting paid for it. They've already done it. An author publishes a book and gets, you know, commission uh, or royalties each time a copy is sold. Again, when the money comes in, they're not actually actively working, not actually doing something. 
You could also argue that, you know, buying stocks and shares, you know, where you receive a dividend. Um, again, you're getting, you're getting money, you're getting paid uh, without actually effectively expending any time. Uh, similarly, if you lend money and get interest. And I think in, in the property world, a really good example would be kind of rental income. So, you know, when you, when you rent out a property. So in each case, you're generating an income, but that income isn't dependent on you actually doing anything. That doesn't mean to say that it's, it's free money. Uh, you've normally got to do some work at the start, you know, to write the song, write the book, yep. buy the shares and all the rest of it. But in each case, the money still rolls in afterwards, whether you're, you know, down the pub or in your pyjamas. Or possibly both in my case. Really? You, you go down the pub in your PJs, do you? Well, it doesn't happen that often. Oh, that's not a great image. Right, let's move on. Um, <laughs> okay, so uh, if we turn our thoughts into passive income from property, say, does every type of property strategy produce passive income? Okay, so here's where I think we need to be a, a, a bit careful. There are several different types of passive income. So in property, you create passive income in a number of different ways. So these can include, you know, as we said earlier, renting out a property. So whether you own the property or simply rent it from a landlord, like rent to rent. Yeah. Uh, another one is lending money on a property project. Uh, and a third one would be adding value to a property where you, you outsource the work involved to others. So whether this is kind of like a new build or where you, you, you convert a building or you renovate it. So in theory, quite a few of the main property strategies are capable of generating passive income. But sometimes people find out the hard way that their, their chosen strategy isn't quite as passive as they thought it would be. Now, another factor you need to consider is, is capital growth versus passive income. So if you, if you buy a property and keep hold of it for a while, it's likely to go up in value. Of course, that capital growth is passive because you didn't have to go to work for it. However, it isn't cash either. You can't spend the capital growth down the fish and chip shop like you can income. And you should know about that. Exactly. <laughs> okay, so shall we go through each strategy and maybe establish exactly how passive you know, income is from it? Okay, so uh, maybe if we start with something like deal sourcing or, or deal packaging. Okay. You know, so this is where you're, you're out and about finding deals, uh, you package them up and then sell them on to other people. Uh, and you basically take a commission for doing that. Now, to be honest, there isn't really a great deal that's particularly passive about you know, doing that. Ultimately, you're only going to get an income if you continue to find deals and sell them. So there's not much chance of you earning money down the pub, you know, whether you're in your pyjamas or not. <laughs> OK, what, a, what about the good old simple buy-to-let, where you buy, a, you know, typically, say, a two- or three-bedroom house and, and rent it out to a family? OK, so now we're starting definitely to get get more passive uh, obviously you need to find the property and you need to buy the property so that's going to involve a bit of work at the outset then you may need to give it a lick of paint but of course you could always get a decorator or a contractor to do that then you're going to be employing a letting agent to find you a tenant and uh, they can take care of things like you know check-in reports deposits referencing that sort of thing and then once your your tenant is in you can either manage things yourself or pay the letting agent to do it now, obviously, you'll be on the hook for any repairs, but you can either let the agent arrange this or just appoint your own contractor to take care of things. I'd also recommend getting some, some training to make sure you're aware of all the pros, cons, and, and best practices, as well as the, the regulations and, and your responsibilities mm, as, a, as a landlord. Um, but, but other than that, 
A buy-to-let is arguably the most passive form of property income. It's helped by the fact that you can find some tenants um, that may stay kind of put for a relatively long time. So uh, with, a, with a family let, could be three, five years or more. You know, no there's no guarantee. Uh, the downside of buy-to-lets is that they don't generate as much income compared to the other property strategies. Although, of course, you do get capital appreciation. Is there any options people should uh, consider with buy-to-lets? Um, I, th- I think the main decision is about whether you want to manage the property yourself. Yep. Uh, personally, I like to employ an agent to do a tenant fine service because... Uh, you know, they then take care of a lot of what I think of as the messy stuff like deposits and referencing and checkouts and contracts. Uh, but you can always save the money and do it yourself. I would definitely think a little longer about having the agent manage the property as this comes at a bit of a premium that, that kind of eats into your profit. Plus, you're still on the hook for any repairs. Yeah. So. If the thought of having to deal with tenants directly fills you with absolute dread, then it's possibly a good option. However, what you might find is that the agent simply uh, you know, takes a call, such as you know, the boilers on the blink, and then simply calls you and says, what do you want to do about it? So given that the answer is likely to be, well, uh, I'm going to get my contractor to go and fix it, the, the agent isn't exactly adding a massive amount of value there. You, know, you might really as well have taken the call yourself, but ultimately it's up to you. I suppose uh, the HMOs, the houses of multiple occupancy, are, are similar to buy-to-lets? Uh, in principle, yes, although there are kind of a, a few additional things to consider with HMOs. Firstly, the income is usually far greater with HMOs, so this is you know, definitely a, a consideration. You'll probably need to invest more time and money in preparing the property for tenants. So you can't obviously outsource the cost, but you, you can uh, outsource the physical work. Uh, although you'll probably need to act as a, a kind of project manager during the conversion yeah. phase, which you know potentially could be a bit of a pain for you. Uh, if you're renting your HMO by the room, then I don't know, let's say you've got six rooms, then you'll have six tenancies running. So you'll have six times the relationships to manage. HMO tenants, as a general rule, um, this doesn't apply in every case, but they generally stay for, for shorter periods than, than buy-to-let tenants. So you, you probably have more tenant fines to do. Again, though you, you can obviously outsource this to an agent. And there are definitely more regulations involved in HMOs. Uh, and I would say training is essential to make sure that you will firstly maximise your profit and also, very importantly, stay on the right side of the regulation. Yeah, and the law. that's absolutely key, isn't it? Okay, that's great. But but what about uh, rent-to-rents? How passive are they? Right, this is where you're the landlord uh, who lets out your property as a single let uh, and, and I rent it from you for, say, three years at a discount. So then I, I spend a few bob kind of converting it into an HMO and then I rent it out by the room, making a profit between what I pay you and what I then get in Me as the landlord, yeah. That's right, yeah. So basically, you're dealing with an HMO, but with the added complication of having a landlord to deal with who actually owns the property. So you may also find that you have to do more work at the front end uh, in getting things set up, as rent-to-rent arrangements are not, you know, they're still not mainstream, and some agents and and even some solicitors and landlords, etc., they're not up to speed with them. Uh Uh, Now... 
you could outsource all of the tenant finding and the property management to an agent, but of course your margins are then going to be smaller than with an HMO that you personally own. So this could you know, seriously eat into your profits. So a lot of renter-renters choose to manage their properties to try and maximise their income and effectively it becomes a full-time business for them. Okay, now uh, onto the penultimate strategy, uh, which is serviced accommodation or serviced apartments, as a lot of people know it. This is where you rent uh, a property out, usually for a short term, possibly even by the night, and you supply towels and bed linen, etc., and you clean the room and you know all the property between tenants. What, what about that in terms of passive income? Well, to my mind, uh, this isn't really a, a passive strategy unless you, you kind of outsource everything, um, in which case you obviously take a hit in your income. So I think with, with service accommodation, you need to have great systems and a great service team you know, who's going to be able to get the properties ready reliably and quickly. And of course, you ideally want to have quite a few properties in your portfolio to to get those kind of economies of scale. So there's there's a lot of work involved in setting things up. And of course, you'll get a a lot more tenant issues, mainly because the expectations are different. You know, plus there's there's, a lot more moving parts and, and more tenants. And I guess occupancy is a big thing here because you can't expect, it's like a hotel, you can't expect to have 100% occupancy all the time. So, again, this the economies of scale. You need several units here to run to actually get the thing to work effectively as a business. No, absolutely right. Absolutely yeah. right. But don't you can't underestimate, though, I think, with service accommodation, that whole uh, issue of, of having having systems that work because your issues then come crashing down and really, really hurt you if, for example, you've got... Um, your, your apartments aren't cleaned the next day yeah. and uh, somebody's coming in because they've rented them for not you. Not too good. Uh, not too good at all. Okay, so finally, we turn to property development. And this is where, you know, you might do a new build, convert a commercial or maybe an industrial building into residential units. You know, maybe you renovate a property. What about this in terms of passive income? Okay, so I think a lot of people don't really know exactly what uh, development actually means. But you know, what we're talking about here is any form of doing some work to a property or a piece of land to to add value and then selling on the end result rather than keeping it out you know, to rent. And I think a lot of people think that development must be pretty hands-on. I think quite often it's because you're building stuff, which presumably you kind of just naturally think must take a lot of management, a lot of oversight. Um, the thing to point out, though, is that property development actually comes with a secret weapon. Wow, that sounds exciting. So what's the, what's the uh, secret weapon exactly? Well, it's called a project manager. And, uh, and he or she saves you from having to do most of the work yourself. So if you think about it, all that happens when you build something is that a group of professionals work together to make it happen. So if you're the developer, all you do is appoint and oversee these people. You don't actually do any of the actual work you know, other than find the project in the first place. So the great news is that you can appoint this project manager to do the oversight part for you. They'll manage your professional team and then they'll simply update you on progress and, of course, any important decisions that, that you need to make. And that way, your role as a developer becomes well, it becomes pretty passive. Plus, you can, uh, you can also take a fee uh, of... of Quite often it can be the, the realm of several thousand pounds a month during that development phase just for being the development manager. That's not the project manager, that's the development manager. Development manager, yeah. So it's your, it's your, it's your development. Yep. And obviously the, yeah, the project manager charges a fee for their service, but the beauty of developments is that the margins are normally 
uh, far greater than with a lot of the other strategies. So you can afford to hire good professionals and afford to hire a good project manager. Uh, Ian, that's fantastic. Thanks, thanks for that. So, um, you know, if we had to think, what would you say the top three things that people need to consider when they're, when they're considering property as a passive income strategy? Uh, I think the first one would probably be to just be realistic, and that's almost the purpose of this podcast, really, is just get people thinking about the amount of time that you, you, you'll need to invest. It's, it's kind of quite easy to underestimate it, uh, particularly the amount of time involved in managing rental properties in particular. Even if you employ a property manager, you know, if a, if a drain collapses or a boiler breaks down, it's more than likely going to be down to you to make the arrangements to get things sorted. Um, and, and some strategies are simply full-time jobs in their own right. So, you know, they can be very profitable, but they require people to do the graft. Mm-hmm. Now, you can, you can outsource some of the work, uh, but this tends to come at a, fairly obviously at a cost. So you need to make sure that your, your numbers stack up. So again, with all of this, it, lots of things can be outsourced. Even by that, you can outsource the management totally. But of course, it all comes at a cost. And then you're always going to be comparing the, the cost of that to your, you know, it's, it's, it's imposing on your bottom line. I think the second thing I would say, which is really important, is to act to, to speak to people who have been there and done it. So whatever strategy that you're going to do, take the time to meet with people who have kind of lived the dream. You know, books and training courses are essential. Uh, training is essential, but you also need to get a, a view of life from the trenches, so to yeah. speak. So uh, what I would do is you know, go to property networking meetings, perhaps offer to buy someone that you've met there that's doing the, the, the strategy that you're thinking of, offer to buy them a cup of coffee, and you'd be really surprised at how keen people are to pass, pass on their experience and their wisdom. I like that. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I think the final point I've made um, is that goes back to that one about development because um, it is possible to do some small development projects which are not only kind of highly lucrative, but they can also actually be very passive. So development can be a standalone strategy, but it also makes the perfect second strategy, for, particularly for landlords, because it, it provides lumps of investment cash. Um, plus it adds diversity whilst they're, they're still using some of the skills that they already have. So I think yeah, development ticks a, a lot of boxes, both as a solo strategy uh, but also as one that you can do when you're doing other strategies. That's good. I like that. I think that's uh, that's a very good point. I mean, I've I've trained many people who have become uh, developers, having first tried another strategy like rent to rent or the service accommodation, or who've just been buy to let landlords, and then it becomes a great second income because they're also uh, leveraging some of their existing property skills, and they just need to learn some basic development skills as as they as they go along. Fantastic. That's Absolutely really right. Good. Absolutely right. Ian, that's, that's fantastic. Thanks very much for that. Well, that's all we've got time for in this episode. So join us again next time when we'll be giving you the inside track on another part of the property world. In the meantime, feel free to check out our other episodes and you can visit our website, which is at propertyceo.co.uk. But until next time, it's goodbye for the show. Goodbye. Goodbye.